They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa, the only show I swear that I make. Don't make any others. I swear. Oh, um, anyway, uh, before I get into who my guest is, I'm going to do a little bit of quick housekeeping. Thank you to my $15 or more patrons, Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, and Mark Price, and to my newest patrons, Jeremy, Seth Decker, and Trayvon Mack. And this week's episode, like so many, is brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And without further ado, tonight's guest is a third time veteran of this show. Please reintroduce yourself to the world, good sir. Yes, my name is Ryan Wharton. Um, as he said, I've been on this show a couple times before, so I am happy to be back. Always a pleasure to have you, dude. Um, you were one of my very early on guests, actually, on this. Maybe second, third, fourth. It, it was definitely early on, on the very first show. I know that. Yeah, I think I was episode 12 the first oh, time. Oh, either way. It seems it seems well, so long ago. Um, but anyway, <laughs> last time was September um, of 2019. So how have you been since then? Uh, I've been good. Um Job changed up a little bit, but not much. Um, and apart from that, my life has basically been the exact same as it has been. So going to work, buying nerdy stuff, indulging in nerdy stuff, all that good stuff. As we all do. Have, um, have you been to any cons or anything? Uh, no, I actually haven't been to cons for a couple of years because um, uh, at a certain point in my uh, first job that I ever had, uh, my parents made me start paying rent, which was fair. So I didn't have as much spare cash. And now since I've been living on my own, I just recently became uh, debt free. So I'm hoping to finally get the spare cash to do that again. Congratulations. Life is a series of attempting to become debt-free moments. It's very hard. Yeah, I was supposed to that was supposed to happen last month, but then I had to have an emergency car repair that was like $200 that I couldn't put off for another month. Oh. Yeah, I uh I learned a really cool lesson owning a home um at the beginning of last year that you can play around with interest rates with refinancing and do we, we did this crazy thing where we were like, Oh, we're going to do this refi and you can, you can refi and cash money out. So Mm -hmm. you can, you can refinance for what your house is worth now instead of what you bought it for. And it doesn't really make your monthly payment go up by all that much. So we took out like enough money to pay off my student loans, a bunch of credit cards and then again a year later refinanced and got enough of a lower interest rate that we knocked like 70% of that additional monthly payment away. And I don't get why money is allowed to work that way. <laughs> I've never understood it. I've always like 
I guess basically because of how I spent my life working and how where my life is now, I've never understood the weirder economics. I'm like, okay, this is how much I actually make. This is how much it costs me to live. And I'm going to operate within those boundaries. Like, yeah, right. Financing and and then I of course like have the added cushion of okay, I understand what credit cards are and what credit does, but that's the most finicky thing I deal with. <laughs> oh, it's it's crazy. And it's just like it's all it, it it's legal money laundering is what it all is. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like how you you no one ever it, homes don't cost what they cost. They cost what they cost, plus this crazy extra liability you put on top of it to allow someone else to have paid for it for you, and then you pay them back, but you spend your entire ownership process playing around with those numbers to try to get it as close to not screwing you over as humanly possible. It, it's very strange, and I don't get why it's allowed to work that way. It, it's kind of the same thing as student loans, right? Right. So does that, that doesn't make a lick of sense to me. <laughs> Like why they're allowed? It's just just such bullshit. But anyway, no. Congratulations on debt free. That's great. Um, Thank you. <laughs> we we even though this this thing layer you know a bit away, we're we're um, co- conversing on the weekend of the release of Sonic the Hedgehog. Ah yes, Sonic <laughs> the Hedgehog, which I have not seen. Um, Neither have but, I. <laughs> uh, but it would seem that strangely it. it it's one of those weird things, right? In a year or a few years of movies being very harshly judged by movie going public, this one seemed to get, I, I don't know if, and again, I haven't seen it to judge it for myself, but what looked like a fairly generic, Hey, this is the movie you make. If you're going to make, you know, a thing with a cute mascot into a movie mm-hmm. and they just, and they just made it look bad. It's amazing to me that all it took was, the gatekeepers and crazy people from the doldrums of the internet to complain. The company said, sure. And now they're willing to give it a pass because it looked right. It's very strange to me. Sonic. Sonic is a weird property. Like how, how big were you uh, ever into Sonic the Hedgehog? Um, so that's an interesting one. So Sonic the Hedgehog was, if, if you know anything about, um, about my brother, um, it was basically a banned thing in our household when we were children because he was a Nintendo guy. Um, oh, and I didn't know it was that uh, heavy. I, well, I knew no, that's 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 me. Guy. That's me being facetious a little bit, tongue in cheek. It's not real, but <laughs> but it's just Fair what enough. we had. What we had were Nintendo systems. So whenever I got to play Genesis games, were like at buddies' houses or um, at the store because you know our parents didn't have um, infinite incomes, right? So we didn't get to have both. Um, but I bought a Dreamcast, and I played the two Sonic Adventure games to death. So my my Sonic um, connection is with the two Sonic Adventure games, which are highly imperfect games, but man, are they fun. Oh, dude, <laughs> I, uh, I played both of those, but um, I was... I played their re-release that was on the GameCube. Oh, and nice! I didn't realize that they were on the Dreamcast originally, because um, I I think the Dreamcast had basically gotten made, 
and then died before I was even old enough to comprehend its existence. Yeah, yeah, that's a bummer. The Dreamcast is the Dreamcast is an interesting thing. It reminds me a lot of um of it had the potential to be the Wii. You know, it had the potential to be the okay, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but this is a big deal um system for Sega and they just botched it. They they the the hardware was cheap and the games were easy to copy. And it's such a bummer because it was this weird little microcosm of gaming weirdness on that yeah. system that, um, and the Genesis, you could say the same thing about the Genesis Sega just had a different approach to the games that they were releasing as a first party console. And it wasn't even like edgy versus not edgy. It was just different. Like they were very arcade oriented it's like nintendo kind of stuck with okay we took the arcade aesthetic and moved on to you know games with more depth to them and sega was like no we're gonna have you know a mix of all that which is why you know all the fighting games were so great on the sega systems um it was just they had a different level of weird and then the dreamcast just had you know, there were so many platformers and so many incredibly colorful action RPGs and so many weird experimental games like um, Jet Grind Radio and Res, you know, and, and, and all and all this stuff. What was that? And Marvel oh, versus Capcom. Right. Yeah. And, 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 it, on the Dreamcast. and it's just such a bummer because the Dreamcast was only really a thing for like a year and a half. And it hit at the exact, like, my... The first system I ever owned that was wholly me that like I didn't like ask my my brother what games were good to play was the PlayStation. Okay. And I and I got that and you know me and him were learning of games together and it was really cool. I got it for Final Fantasy 7, but then there was, you know, Odd World and the Resident Evil series and all of these things that you just couldn't get from a Nintendo console. Yeah. And then the Dream and then the Dreamcast came out and that was like my little niche market, you know, I mean, I still feel that one of the best Resident Evil games was Code Veronica and it's almost forgotten because yeah. it was on that system, <laughs> you, yeah, you know, Sega with their consoles, um, their problem was not being Nintendo in that they weren't as established and couldn't just take like a big hit like they could. Like, that was Nintendo's thing, is that they could take a hit and, like, kind of shrug it off and come back. Because um, the Wii U very much is kind of like the modern Sega Dreamcast. It's, but, it, exactly. And, and it's a bummer, they right? Had enough clout to, they had enough money in the bank to go, okay, we can make a new console, and it's going to be the perfected version of that. And now we have the Switch. What's amazing to me is the Switch seems to be the culmination of every single misstep Nintendo has ever made. It's really weird, right? Not even with their like victory lap on Labo, which basically said, yeah, we're going to have a VR version of it now. So screw you, Virtual Boy haters. We're doing that again. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love that Nintendo. I, see, I love my Wii U. I, I actually intentionally bought. um um breath of the wild on my wii u even though um well actually i did I, it was intentional looking back on it because i'd never 
would have bought a switch when I bought it um, because it was a Christmas present from Bob. And he's like, here, you need this. Like you need this, you need to see. And um, it it's a bummer because the Wii U is a great piece of hardware. It just feels like um, an early released revision of the switch. Yeah. You like, know? Uh, the primary reason I ended up getting a Wii U apart from the, console exclusives which sadly i never got to play because uh life was happening and i just didn't have yeah. uh i got it basically for bayonetta 2 because oh. saved the bayonetta franchise of all people those games were wonderful oh yeah i love bayonetta and bayonetta 2 and <laughs> it's the third one <laughs> it's it's just it's bonkers because it the wii u is you know, I mean, it it churned out some beautiful looking games, and um, it, it, it's kind of a bummer that like the Switch doesn't have Netflix on it. You know, yeah, I, I I know that it doesn't really need it because look at all this other crap that it has. But I loved that about my Wii U. I loved being able to be like, hey, you know, I'm I'm sitting here playing games, you know, and then like my wife comes and sits down on the couch next to me, and will say like, hey, you know. I'd like to throw something on on the TV and just check out. Cool. Let me switch the game over onto here. And then I'll be sitting on the couch and I'm like, hmm, I'm tired. Let me throw on something to just kind of like check my brain out and be able to switch over to Netflix and never put the damn controller down. Yeah, that's and, the only thing that's preventing the Switch from like being absolute top tier hardware is the lack of the streaming apps. Because if it got like Netflix, Hulu and Disney Plus, it would just be game over. Oh, to be no contest. They they made the per- the switch is like it, it it's the Nintendo victory lap. It's basically saying, "Hey, we made you wait. We we dragged our feet. We sat back and watched the way trends and technology were going to go, and now we have made you an entertainment system." I mean, they successfully consolidated handheld gaming and console gaming onto one thing finally. When I when I got the switch, it was for Christmas, and I I downloaded Doom onto it, and I brought my Switch to work, and at lunchtime the first day, I played Street Fighter on the Switch with my buddy at lunch, and then the next day, logged onto the Wi-Fi at work and checked my brain out and played Doom online for an hour, <laughs> and, and I did it with a console that I carried around in my freaking backpack, and I that is the dream. Like I think back to sitting, I, I'm going to have to use some of this stuff for the PAX panel now that I'm like, <laughs> but um, you, you, you heard that, right? The Bob and I got accepted at PAX. Yeah, I did. Oh my God. We're through, we're through the moon for that. It's going to be insane. Uh, but anyway, back to it. I think back to, I remember when I saw the first commercial for game boy and what was that? 1989. Yeah, 1990. I... <laughs> and, I, and so I'm thinking, so I remember seeing the first commercial for Game Boy on TV because there was no, you know, internet. Um, They may have been an advertisement for it in Nintendo Power, but I'm thinking like Game Boy was like a surprise drop. And I remember seeing the commercial and just the commercial was, you know, this monolith Game Boy floating to the screen and the screen lighting up and the Tetris logo coming up. And I remember dreaming all night about waking up and like mom had bought Bob and I a Game Boy. And it it took till Christmas, I think, of that year. But we both got one. And 
the aspirations in your brain without holding this thing of like what that can mean. Cause you know, you take like a tiger electronics game mm-hmm. with just like the single cell, like moving things around the screen that isn't really a game. Right. But it, but it is, but it's right. more like game, it's more like game and watch or whatever. And you move that to like the fluid multi-contrasted black and white of like game boy. And now I think about the switch and going, that is, I won't call it the end game, but everything that was in my mind then it's like, I didn't need someone to tell me how to use a switch. It, it just like the Wii U or the Wii was aesthetically incredibly intuitive when it was done right. You know, obviously there were games that Nintendo didn't make. They were a little silly, but like playing Wii bowling for the first time, playing Metroid prime with that controller, it all just felt so damn intuitive. And, the switch just culminates all of that. It's like, not only can this play all the new games you want, it's going to play all the old games you want to, and it's going to play them in a fashion you aren't used to. It's going to make, it's going to breathe life into them again. You know, uh, that like virtual console by way of Netflix thing with speed runs and challenges and stuff. It's like, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to make these games fresh. We're going to make it. So a young kid can come back and have like achievements in his Metroid game. You know, and it's like this is fascinating. I love this. Yeah, and we got and we got there from Sonic. So you were saying, what was my um, what I told you what my thing. So so was there a um a parallel to how the acceptance of the Sonic movie you think yeah. that, that community <laughs> uh, is m- mostly in that the Sonic fandom has kind of taken a beating in terms of content over the years. Oh yeah. Um. And it kind of like started around the Sonic Adventure games because that's when the franchise shifted to 3D. And for the longest time, like people kept on saying uh, Sonic Adventure 2 was quote unquote the last good Sonic game. Uh, but me, myself, and I, I like stood up for basically every single 3D Sonic game throughout my like teens and high school years uh, playing them. And except for Sonic 06, that one, that one, I can't really uh, get behind. What was the one on on the Wii? I like the controls were kind of stupid. Um, That was that was the first one that got any kind of a positive reception. I liked that one. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it was popular. Uh, It got a positive reception. But like uh, Sonic Unleashed. That's a game I think got overhated because of the Werehog stages, which were actually kind of like a really well put together beat 'em up. But because it was in a Sonic game, uh, people like were really angry about it. Even though that's the pinnacle of what 3D Sonic should be. Um, Agreed. Daylight stages. Um, Do you ever play Sonic Unleashed? Or yeah. Seen oh it? yeah. No, I I had forgotten about that one, but I really liked it. Yeah. And there's actually a Sonic game I need to finish that uh, I think people are now calling the last good Sonic game was uh, that Sonic Generations. Uh, yes, that one is fan-freaking-tastic. Oh, yeah. And I've, and it's just a love letter to Sonic. Like I think the biggest boss fight that I've gotten through uh, was uh, the uh, Chaos, um, mm-hmm. perfect Chaos boss fight. I'm like, cool, they're not making me go super, they're not making me supersonic for this fight, but this is exactly how this fight went down in Sonic Adventure all those years ago, with the soundtrack and all. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 
get um the Crash Bandicoot and Spyro treatment and get a um get a new generation console um freshening uh, up. I I I would like that. Um, Cuz the games played great. The gameplay was was not the issue. You know, if if they just gave those a fresh coat of paint and you know, made the cameras a little less catchy and glitchy, um it w- it would just be wonderful, I think. Oh yeah, I I would love them to do that with those two games. I I'd, I'd honestly even uh, go so far as to throw Sonic Heroes in there as well. Yeah. Because I kind of like lump the three of those in together as like a little trilogy of games. Now I'm a I'm a very easy person to please when it comes to to video game movies and particularly movies that are you know aimed at children. Um, mm-hmm. But but it's it's a bummer for me that it looks this. And again, I haven't seen the Sonic movie, so I'm, I'm not going to judge it because maybe, maybe it actually is the first one in a while that works. I don't know, but I just can't get off of the fact that it looks like they took the movie hop and stuck Sonic on it. And maybe that's the James Marsden connection, but it, it just, um, I don't know. It just, it looks, you know, Okay, maybe the idea is to get a good video game movie. You got to go generic, but they proved with Detective Pikachu you don't. You can be weird and be a friggin' strange ass Pokemon movie, and people will show up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's really weird because, um, in terms of like the two big '90s mascots, Sonic actually has more to work with than Mario. Right, has like Mario has a whole bunch of stuff but it's all kind of generic and ill-defined like the most defined it gets is the paper mario games whereas sonic at this point thanks to like sonic adventure 2 and shadow the hedgehog and all those other games actually has like a mythos and cast of characters that you could draw from to make a decent sonic movie in addition to the old school like 90s dr robotnik is turning people into or turning animals into robots thing Right, exactly. And hell, I mean, you could even you could go as far as to say, hey, even if they just adapted one of the two Sonic cartoons that there were, okay, you'd get one that you'd either get the Looney Tunes ish one, which is fine, or like the the Edge Lordy like dark one, which is like okay. Either way, those are both really interesting aesthetics to go with. So how come you just made like someone called it, um, it looks like they went and made an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie and just traded off um, uh, David Cross for, you know, reminding people that Jim Carrey can still be Rubber Man, you know? And right. and again, I think Jim Carrey is a perfect casting for Dr. Robotnik. That's genius. But also, I'm not going to see a Dr. Robotnik movie. You know, I want to see Sonic the Hedgehog. And everyone says Carrey is great but says the movie is kind of lame. And so that's yeah. kind of a bummer, you know? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not also the, the kind of person to say that we haven't had a good video game movie ever. You know, I, I actually quite like Silent Hill. Um, I thought that was a great version of that game put to film. Um, I quite enjoy, uh, Detective Pikachu. I actually thought Rampage was a blast. Detective you know? 
and Rampage are awesome. I think Detective Pikachu is for forever going to be the best video game movie. I, yeah. I don't think that's going to be easy to match. Yeah, it definitely set the bar now. Well, in it, the thing that like I I felt so great about watching it is that it had no concern with just being a Pokemon movie. Like it worked on the logic of that universe and why nobody has thought, especially after the success of things like the Marvel movies and things like that to kind of go, Hey, maybe we can just go all in and let this be what it is. You might not make a billion dollars off this video game movie. Cause you're going to alienate some people that go, okay, that looks like it's for kids, but you're sure as hell going to make a profit. Yeah. You know, it's very strange to me. Um, and again, maybe Illumination makes a good Mario movie. Maybe. I I doubt it. Um, only because, well, I'm not even going to say only because I don't like what Illumination does. Because I think Illumination is a fine animation company. I just think that they are <sighs> all of the for all of the goodness in Shrek One and Two. And I know this is an illumination, but for all of the goodness in Shrek 1 and 2, you get the other Shrek movies. Right. And Shrek 1 and 2 are great both because of being well done and well written and well acted and also because of their over amount of pop culture references that sets them apart from how Disney usually does things. So when Illumination is just pop culture reference, the company, you know, like that, that's what they are. But, you know, I like the majority of the Despicable Me movies, and um, I thought Sing was actually an inspired movie with an actual point, which I didn't expect it to be when I saw the trailer. But I just don't know how their shtick is going to work for Mario. Neither. Neither do I. Like, and Pixar, (laughs) not Pixar, Disney already proved that with Wreck-It Ralph, someone could make a good Mario movie because that's kind of how you do a Mario movie. <laughs> you know, it, you kind of are self-aware and, okay, video games are weird and, and this is strange. You know, it's kind of like the Toy Story way of going, hey, you know, we're kind of looking at this through an adult lens now. Let's have a little bit of fun with it. Um, but have it mean something. I don't think Illumination has the has the ability to make it mean something. Yeah, they haven't really shot for major depth in any of their movies yet. Not not the dream. Which is a bummer because they definitely make a quality product. It's not like I think the least of their things is probably the Minions movie. And even that is that is a happiness delivery service. You know what I mean? For little kids. There's there's you can't fault them for figuring out that that works but you know i just don't i don't see maybe they'll surprise me maybe they hire some wonderful writer that just seems to get how to do a mario movie but hell even nintendo doesn't always know how to get how to do mario so so i have no idea (laughs) now the video game movie i would like to see and I wonder which lunatic is actually going to take it on is the Digimon movie when that eventually happens. That would be amazing. And, and I know I say 
and it is technically originally a video game, but I think Digimon is largely associated with the animated series at this yes. point. Oh, wouldn't a Digimon movie, especially if they if they like went the Detective Pikachu route and just said we're gonna we're gonna take ourselves kind of serious and just well, honestly, they have the perfect uh, framework for one of them. Uh, have you watched any of the uh, Digimon series? It uh, was a long time ago. <laughs> okay, well, season three was the first one where they kind of were where they did the Power Rangers thing where. It's a completely separate team, not even remotely related to the last uh, season's heroes or whatever. See, I like, I think more things should do that. And that series setup was novel in that it mostly took place in the real world where Digimon was uh, basically a card game franchise. Um, like, like kind of how it is in our world. And the Digimon are crossing over from the digital world into our world in kind of these little fog banks. And some of the kids in the city are able to tame them because in Japan it was called Digimon Tamers. And they become their partners. And then they just go to these fog banks and use like cards to swipe into their Digivices that give them uh, extra abilities. And they just fight these things. In the real world. Like, that's a decent setup for a Digimon movie, is just having these creatures invade the real world one by one, and then, oh, the big Act 3 battle is, uh, I don't know, the main antagonist of the first arc or something like that, and the and they all team up. I like this. It's like Digimon by way of the 80s Masters of the Universe movie. Yeah, and it was honestly the darkest of the Digimon series, because the final like stretch of that uh, particular season uh, gets really dark where the real world is being attacked by a Digimon virus that's being fueled by one of the main characters uh, depression basically oh Jesus yeah like it kidnaps one of the main characters after they had lost their partner Digimon and then just feeds off of her depression for like the entirety of the last arc in that particular season. That's so, um, that's pretty high concept for uh, yeah. And so like the villain, uh, these villain things which aren't even classified as Digimon are like speaking in her voice and like just tormenting this poor little girl for like ten episodes straight. Okay, I want this movie. Uh, yeah, let's do this. They should make this movie, and they should have the guy that made the um, the remake of Pete's Dragon do it, because he seems to get child pathos. Yeah, um, I would, if I were to make a Digimon movie, as much as I like the original, um, the original cast of characters, I would probably go with like the Digimon Tamers setup for the movie uh, myself. That sounds fantastic. And they're actually still making. Uh, Digimon uh, like series because um, I guess uh, Japan is in the uh, like 90s nostalgia revival of popular things from 20 years ago type the type deal um, makes sense because they... I want to I want to see um, I want to see either a show or movie um, especially with this whole resurgence of medieval timey stuff from Game of Thrones. 
mm-hmm. I want to see um like early like first six maybe nine Final Fantasy world done by the Castlevania folk for Netflix like a TV show I think that would be an amazing thing to see um with with all the shots everyone's getting I I still feel bummed I actually am one of these strange people that likes the Final Fantasy movie it's like crappy yeah, it, in you know the reason I like it, it, it kind of is the same argument I use for Avatar and movies like that, where if you're going to introduce a technology or you're going to introduce people to an idea, you do it with something generically accessible by a big audience. And I thought that's kind of what they went with, but I'm like watching it and I'm going, you also could have just made a movie out of Final Fantasy VII at this point. I mean, that's it's different enough but still has enough of the old you know feel to it i just feel like if you're gonna dump a whole bunch of money into it at least get something that the fans are gonna watch yeah you know and then maybe the other people will show up that was the biggest mistake with that is they're like we're just gonna make generic sci-fi movie number six yeah you know time since i've seen any piece of that movie and i don't think i've actually seen the whole thing all the way through it's it's really not bad i mean it it is final fantasy like when when they get to like the very convoluted this is what's going on it's like okay i feel like i'm playing an abridged version of a final fantasy game cool but it could have been so much more if they if they just made it visually different it's like they spent all that money and just made a very generic looking thing, you know. Um, if they uh, if they make a Final Fantasy movie, my uh, uh or Final Fantasy anything, um, it'll they'll probably start with seven. But my uh, second pick that I think they'd probably go with is Final Fantasy six. That's the one oh. Kefka, which is basically uh, the. Final Fantasy Joker that everybody likes to call him. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's the bad guy that like like wins halfway through the game. I think. Yep. I think if they adapted Final Fantasy VI into a movie, a large portion of the um, fandom would would probably just die of excitement. <laughs> After they get Kefka right too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, six was incredible. <laughs> See, I'm I'm really sad because I actually didn't get to play a Final Fantasy game, and actually still haven't really played any outside of the uh, Final Fantasy 13 games. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that; those are fine. Um, yeah. Before but... that, my Final Fantasy experience was uh, through Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> yes. Yes. See, I I strangely and didn't appreciate it at the time because because what was it? They released Final Fantasy One on the NES and I have played final fantasy one. And the funny thing about final fantasy one, when I was a young child and Bob and I played it is it was so hard to get to the title crawl. And we were so used to playing games that, you know, you could blow through in a couple hours that after playing the game for four or five hours and getting the title crawl, we thought we had beaten the game. (laughs) <laughs> Cause we just didn't know. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's like 30 hours after this. And you're just kind of like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> game was huge. Game was massive for an NES cartridge game, right? But then, like, what was it? Like, two through five 
or even maybe even six never even came out in the U.S. until later, or it was um, I think, strange. I think, it was, I think the release order was actually one, one, two, and three. Like the real one, two, and three didn't make it to the U.S. until the Game Boy Advanced era, and the first Final Fantasy game that got released here was released as Final Fantasy one, but it was Final Fantasy uh, four. That's it. Okay. So I, Final I knew Fantasies it. one, two, and three here were actually four, five, and six. That's it. That's and it. and they released and the, them on the Game Boy Advance, like the original, like Final Fantasy games. Nice. I, I think I think that's what happened. And then uh, by the time seven got here, they've just been uh, releasing them um, all. In they should. I mean, seven is. If if you have not played seven, I have not, but I did, but I do have a copy because I found one at a movie trading company. Seven was this, it it was it it's gonna sound silly now because it's like the most beloved freaking PlayStation game ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but seven was a was a it was a phenomenon, and it was a it was a slow burn, quiet phenomenon. It wasn't like it didn't have like a Super Mario Brothers three kind of thing. It was it was like a gorilla like underground like if you if you did, did you know them they made another Final Fantasy, you, you know kind of thing because it was still pre big internet, you right. know. Right. I, and so and so it was it. My cousin was here at my grandmother's house, sitting in the room I'm in right now, recording this, which is actually kind of cool. Um, <laughs> and there was a TV in the corner to the left of me. And I was sitting in my grandfather's recliner and he hooked up his PlayStation because we were staying overnight with my grandmother. He hooked up his PlayStation and he goes, did you know they made a new Final Fantasy game? And this was, you know, the big rift with Nintendo and Square because Square made games for Nintendo like that was it, you know, and it was this big rift. Um, and they were going to release their game on the CD console instead of the cartridge. And it was being developed for Nintendo and Sony back when they were both the same system. And he booted this game up and I watched the opening cinema scene intro and I, it, I had never seen a video game like it before. And it's funny cause we had an N64 and N64 could produce a better looking game, you know, from, mm-hmm. from a technical standpoint, but I'd never seen anything on a Nintendo system in 3D that was this cinematic, you know? Right. And and we sat here and for all night. We didn't sleep, me and my cousin, and we just played on this old Zenith, like, 19-inch cathode <laughs> ray tube TV with our PlayStation and the RF adapter. And that was, I think, maybe September... Of ninety seven, I, I it was whatever year. No, yeah, that might have been the year that I and I, I told I told my parents I I need this. This is Christmas. I don't want anything else. I want a PlayStation and I want Final Fantasy seven, and and that's what I wanted. And that game, it's one of the last RPGs I've played through in its entirety. Um, and it's just so good. And I'm I'm watching the um the stuff from the remake and it's it's getting me jazzed all over again um because because that game has a very archaic fighting system um 
it works, but it's very old fashioned and it looks like they're doing their damnedest to kind of make it feel more like the fighting system in Super Mario RPG, which which makes me kind of smile because I don't know if you ever played that, but that was the that was the Square Nintendo. We made a game together and then parted ways game (laughs) and think about a Final Fantasy game, but with Mario and that's that's it. Right. but it had this fight system where your attacks could have like modifiers and additional things done with button combinations while you were jumping. And it just, it, it really made it feel unique. And so everything after it kind of felt like a step backwards. And I found that kind of interesting that Nintendo super Nintendo had this silly little Mario game, this RPG that like was progressive and square kind of went backward a little bit, but Hey, then there's like Final Fantasy X, which is basically just a Kingdom Hearts game. Yeah, <laughs> I think Final Fantasy X came out like around the time that the first Kingdom Hearts was hitting. It did. Films. It did, and they had very similar um, visual aesthetics to each other. My name is Gibetto Funkin. One shoe stumble, knackle timber shivers at your service. I'm looking for some friends of mine. The many pennies. The many pennies. Them. I know we've been really busy, but I think that all we need to do is just tackle the next thing on this 24-item to-do list, and we'll be fine. Someone bring me some food. Also, my flask is empty. I need a refill. Nobody panic. I may have lost several scorpions. I said nobody panic. Check out this new skin patch on my cloak, guys. Guys? You know, I might be looking for someone else. I don't blame you. Adventure Incorporated, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition actual play adventure podcast. New episodes every Monday. Find us at adventureinkpod.com. Yeah, I used, to, I used to be a big Final Fantasy guy. I'd, I'd love to see more. But yeah, if you can get your hands on I know for um, Switch, you can get the original 7 just HD-ified, which is yeah, probably... Yeah, I, I might sink some money into that. Uh, I almost did. I almost did that with 9, because 9 is the one I never owned but only played it over a buddy's house. I really, I'm one of the weird people didn't really like eight. Eight was too much. Like, I don't know. It was too. It's kind of, it was the same stuff that bothered me about eight bothered me about 10, but 10 was so kinetic that I let it slide, but there was just too much linearity to it. There was too much railroading. Like just go here, do this. And I, even though that's the kind of gamer I am now, at yeah. the time I wanted, you know, Final Fantasy VII, which was you're going to spend 35 hours guessing. Have fun. Yeah, I think that was the uh, thing that people were mad about with at least the first of the Final Fantasy thirteen games was that mm. it was very, very, very linear up until like the last, um, the last portion of it, really. <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, and, and that's a bummer because 13 was a beautiful game and had a really cool story. So, yeah, <laughs> it was basically just a um, just a button click events <laughs> for a long, long, long time. <laughs> but hey, what are you going to do? Uh. So, God, so we got there to there from making a Final Fantasy movie slash TV show. So um, what have you seen any uh, movies recently? Dude, or cool um, TV shows? In terms of TV shows, um, I actually have been doing, a, I actually just finished a rewatch of one of my favorite TV shows, um, Avatar The Last Airbender. 
Nice. Have, have you seen that? Uh... I am extremely familiar with it story-wise, but I've only watched about two or three episodes. I need to give that whole thing a watch through, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really something. And I also finished the um, sequel series, Legend of Korra. Uh, yes, well. Legend of Korra, same thing. I've also watched um, two or three episodes. And I'm injected into that culture just through friends. So, you know, can't help but find out everything about it. But um, it... They're both incredible shows. Yeah, I've I've actually gone really deep into that because they've been since the, both of the shows have finished. They've also been publishing like in canon uh, comic books as well. Oh, that's great! And um, they recently just published like a book book, like a novel um, about one of the previous avatars named Avatar Kiyoshi, and it's called Rise of Kiyoshi. And it's a uh, part one of two. Damn. And and it's kind of uh, funny reading the book because um, you quickly learn, like, because it's still targeting the same audience as Avatar, kind of like a kids to young adults audience. But you find out what you can get away with on the page that you can't get away with on broadcast TV uh, with their with these uh, powers, because like you can't. Like, um, like, you know how waterbenders can make, like, ice and, like, little icicles and chunk them at people in the show? Yes. Yeah, so they're, they're never allowed to, like, actually stab anybody to death with these things, even though they very well could. Whereas in, like, the first few chapters of the book, they're encountering a pirate lady who's a waterbender, and it just describes her, like, create an icicle out of nowhere and stab a dude in the back and describes all the blood, like kind of like game of Thrones level violence, blood. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, th- this is, this is all the stuff that they couldn't get away with on the show. Okay. And like some other guy, uh, slits another dude's like throat open with an earth knife. It's, it was kind of a trip, like hearing this stuff described. I think um, that stuff needs to get adapted. I think they need to do like, I don't know, just with the way everybody tell do do something like a short run film like the Super Broly stuff from Dragon Ball. That had a great um, turnout for those. Oh yeah, I I wouldn't mind them adapting uh, Rise of Kyoshi and uh, the Shadow of Kyoshi, which is the second novel that comes out this summer. Um, and it's, and she's, she's the, she's an avatar that had like all of a couple of seconds of screen time and mentions, but got like super popular and then got even more popular in the comics because they featured her a little bit more. So I guess they decided, you know what? Screw it. Uh, we'll, we'll make a novel about her. That's awesome. I, I love stuff like that. It's just like, yeah, you know what? We're just going to deep dive on the random characters now. Why not? Oh, yeah. I, lo- I, I love whenever they do deep dive uh, stuff like that. Um, and, and now and now you've got me thinking about a Digimon again because of their new movie they're doing. Um, <laughs> I, need, I need to catch up on... I, uh, I started watching 
the shows you had recommended from the two times we talked, and I uh, I need to dig back in because they were great. Uh, uh, Anohana and uh, another. Yeah, n- another is the one I got. I think at least at least five episodes in, and that was kind that of was amazing. I think stuff. I, yeah, I think I need to get because I watch it on Crunchyroll. Uh, I think that was the place I was able to find it, and. I think maybe I need because because anime is odd anyway. The the presentation of that site with like advertisements and stuff. There were a few times where like they started advertising a different show in the middle, and I wasn't one hundred percent sure if another just took a weird turn for a couple minutes. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, "What am I watching?" <laughs> <laughs> and and you said you had uh, uh, attempted to watch the other one, uh, Anohano, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, I just got to dig through the whole thing because I, I really liked them both. Another is messed up. Oh, it's messed up. And I need to get the Blu-ray so I can actually like watch it without the uh, black gradient sensors mm. that they had on Hulu. Especially so I can see that uh, that first death um, in all of its glory. As yeah, God, it is. It's it's a dark show. It? it is a dark show. Oh yeah, it's... you know who I bet could and this is going to be completely out of left field. Mm-hmm. You know who I bet could adapt anime really well if they wanted to do you know like American live action series versions, but keep it. Um, keep it you know like the original is mike flanagan mike flanagan he so he's been doing he's been doing a lot of weird stuff but he recently has had two in a row stephen king adaptations that just seem to get that you gotta keep some of the weird stephen king shit in there and he pulled it off he he did gerald's game and Dr. Sleep and the way he reads a novel and goes, you know, like a a lot of the times with an adaptation of a book, you see something visually a certain way and either they, they don't see it the same way as you or they just leave it out completely. Yes. There's almost nothing. There's characters and there's story beats that are left out, you know, because you can't do a 500, thousand page book in a three hour movie but everything that i visualized from the book dr sleep shows up on screen one way or another how i envisioned it in my head and that blew my mind because no one ever adapts stephen king that way they always strip it down to one you know narrative and forget about the strange stuff and they this this did not and i i think he seems he, he he's done he's he's done nothing but horror movies um the the least horror thing he did was the haunting of hill house because that was more creepy that netflix show but um that was a book adaptation as well um so it's it's i think um you know if you're not gonna get you know an anime director to adapt their stuff for american audiences because they're really the first people you should ask um, but if they, you know, they always try every once in a while to do, you know, an anime movie or an anime show in the U S you know, um, I just think of like how great of a job this guy could have done on like ghost in the shell. Yeah. You know? 
He just seems to get it. Um, and and another would actually probably be like really easy because yes. apart from the uh, violent deaths, it's a much more grounded show because it's actually originally adapted from a novel as well. Right. And, and the, the pitch would be easy. It's just, it's final destination, but they're all like high schoolers. So you kind of care a little bit more. Yeah. That was, you know, that um, Eli Roth learned that with the hostile films. Um, and again, he, he gets a lot of flack the same way the Saw franchise does for making torture porn. But Hostel 2, the difference between Hostel 1 and Hostel 2 is he makes you stay with these characters until they get caught up in this stuff. And they're all likable, good people. And so it makes you go, no, I don't want to see this happen to this person now. And the movie has stakes, whereas the first one, you're like, these guys are all scumbags. I can't wait for them to die. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and and I, 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 and I, you know, the first Final Destination, the main character you care about, but everyone else that dies in the movie, they just suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I no, another, that. another. You're right. It's like, well, wait a minute. No, why is this happening to these wonderful people? Like, pl- please stop now. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait till you like finish that show because. The, the finale of it, the finale is one of, is kind of when it goes a little bit anime off the rails. Um, but it's kind of amazing and awesome. It's like the exact tonal opposite of what Anohana is. Like, like that's actually something I'd recommend. Like, as soon as you, like, finish another, maybe uh, watch an episode or two of Anohana just to get yourself in a slightly better mood. <laughs> okay, just to pull yourself back to reality. That, that's been my thing with, um, with Bojack Horseman, is I'm still making my way through that show because two or three episodes, and it just ruins my will to want to exist and i gotta <laughs> dial back on it for a few minutes yeah i i haven't dove into Bo- bojack horseman i'm not sure i, I ever will it's um, it's fantastic it's just too real it's one of those things where you go this you you, you go guys this is supposed to be funny and you're brilliant writers but oh my god like you understand depression and stuff way too well and you're hurting me with it please stop (laughs) like it's just like come on it's 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 incredibly inspired for what it is you know it it um it's it's just such a mess of a show and i have a hard time getting through it because of that um and i probably never will i'm like halfway through the first season (laughs) (laughs) but everyone's like you gotta watch bojack and i'm like i agree with you this is a great show uh, it 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 it's militarized against my 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 psychosis and self esteem, and it makes me hate myself, and I don't want to watch it right now. <laughs> yeah, I... but but it it does that without being um the people making that show seem to understand what they're doing, whereas some shows you know do that as a crutch. You know, or to cater to a certain fan base. Um, but I feel like this show is like, no, we have a story we want to tell. Yeah. It's, like, right, that's cool. Smart. And it's a smart show. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. I need happier things. It was kind of like, you know, I watched a few episodes of Adventure Time with my friend. 
mm-hmm. Jeremy after Adventure Time had aired all the way through. And he's like, you're going to love this show. He goes, I'm going to show you stuff from early on where it's a little bit more, you know, uplifting and different. And I watch it and I go, Jeremy. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, I go, I don't care if you spoil anything, but is this a post-apocalyptic show? <laughs> and he went, excuse me. And I went, is it? And he goes, do you really want to know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. And then he told me and I went, oh, that's fucking dark. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm horrified that my brain figured that out. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's another show I haven't um, dove into, though. I don't think that one I'm pretty sure I never will. Um, and it's, it's nothing against the show. It's the the particular animation style I yep. for some reason just cannot yep I cannot deal with like like it's kind of like sometimes there are just shows that yes I acknowledge these are good but they're I'm not, not made they're not made for us for this one particular hangup like it's it's my thing with One Piece like theoretically I like One Piece but I hate Monkey D Luffy <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which Netflix is supposed to be doing that, by the way. Did you hear this? No. Netflix is supposedly going to be doing a live-action One Piece show with an involvement of the original manga writer. That sounds like it could be great or the worst thing ever made and probably no in-between. Like if they're if they're going to do it, I kind of hope they don't dial back the weird just so like normal people that I know uh, get exposed to weird anime bullshit in some form. Yeah. Um, well, but... actually, have speaking of weird anime bullshit, have you seen um, the Rise of Skywalker? Uh, I have. So. Again, you know, I've I've talked to a bunch of people about this, but I actually still I've seen it twice. It I I guess I'm just easy to please these days because I really enjoyed it. It was it was a nice fun Star Wars movie. It was convoluted. It didn't really work plot-wise, but I liked it. And I got to say, I give them credit for just making the most anime Star Wars movie ever. Oh yeah, like that uh fight on the wreck of the Death Star where they Oh. Jumps. It was uh, amazing. Yeah, I was like, cool. They're almost exactly doing what I want them to eventually do. Because what I want them to eventually do with like the implication of the Force powers is like have them running about as fast as Barry Allen and like jumping from mountain to mountain. Yes. No, I, I really wanted them I really wanted them to cut back to like Finn with like a Kodak thing out and going, What's his power level? Oh, yeah. it's over nine thousand. <laughs> but there's... I actually did really enjoy uh, Rise of Skywalker it's, too. So. <laughs> it's a blast of a movie. It is not. It is not like a brilliant piece of writing in cinema, like the one before it was. But mm-hmm. it's a hell of a great Star Wars movie. And I told people, you know, someone was complaining about it, going on and on and on, and I said. Check this out. I go, I have one thing that I think will solve 90% of the problems you just brought up. And they said, what? And I go, the movies don't exist in a bubble. 
and you have all three of them in front of you. I want you to cut the end of Last Jedi out and stick it after the last scene of The Rise of Skywalker. How's that work for you now? And he goes, you son of a bitch, that fixes it. And I go, yes, it does. I said, the big thing you were complaining about is that you wanted to see an entire movie of new Jedi learning to be Jedi, which I agree. That's the movie I wanted Rise of Skywalker to be. But I really like that bit with the kid with the broom as the last piece of uplifting everything's going to be okay. You know, yeah. Star Wars. And I, it, it, it's a bummer that Ryan Johnson had to do the middle one because you know that he was like, you know what, I'm not going to get to do another one of these for a bit, so I need to end with this shot. Like, it's too cool of an idea not to end with. And, you know, so the movie we got after was just more Star Wars space romp. That still makes me really happy. Yeah, <laughs> it closed the book about as well as it was ever going to get close, so now the franchise can truly spread its wings in the new era, if you ask me. Like, the like, final bad guy is like the final bad guy is literally the ghost of all the bad things about Star Wars. And given that this whole trilogy has been like the meta legacy of Star Wars, uh, that's it, about as perfect a final villain as you can get. And it makes now. sense. It makes sense. <laughs> you know, I I don't. I don't think you were ever going to please everybody, but I'm just amazed at how, I don't know. I was really angry at how much people didn't like The Last Jedi, but at least that Same. one still, I don't know. I don't feel like it hurt my enjoyment or disenjoyment of the movie. This one, so many people didn't like it, but didn't like it. For the opposite reason they didn't like The Last Jedi. It's like they were angry at The Last Jedi because it was too much not like a Star Wars movie. And you know what? I'll take that criticism all day long. But I love it because it's not like a Star Wars movie. I you know, it's something new. With, I think what happened with Rise of Skywalker in terms of just the online criticism. Because honestly, whenever that whole thing was breaking out, the first and one voice of reason that I had actually saw on the thing was your brother's reaction yes. to it. Yes. Uh, but I think a lot of it was basically because of the uh, fallout from the last Jedi in terms of the online troll set, like kind of those crazy alt-right suckers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Glomming onto that and then partially fueling. We win. Yay! Yeah, and then so like on the other side, and I really hate to do the both sides thing because I I, I don't like the equivocating thing a lot. But in this case, it seemed to fit that the other side got really really angry because those people are going to be happy about it or whatever, and it all yeah, it basically the alt right troll. Last Jedi reaction or whatever fed into the discussion of Sky of Rise of Skywalker and basically co-opted any actual logical reaction. Yeah. Point that uh, any really honest critique of it, I think, is probably going to be forthcoming and history is going to be kinder to it. I think history is going to be very kind to this whole trilogy. I think people also have a hard time um, 
separating Disney out of it. They do a much better job separating Disney out of Marvel. Mm-hmm. And I don't get why they can't separate Disney out of Lucasfilm. It's like, you know, you know that half of all of these people at the end of the day are owned by the same two people anyway. I right? Think, like this is this is how the world is always gone. I think it's probably because uh the Lucasfilm thing happened. Yeah. Um uh, very much in the public eye, and it was something that like nerds had actually glommed onto for a long time. Like even if they hadn't made any movies, like people knew what Lucasfilm was and knew what it had. And then suddenly Disney owned them. Whereas like with Marvel, it almost seemed like that deal kind of happened quietly and Marvel hadn't like taken over the planet yet. Yeah. True. True. So so they were right to just slowly creep into the Disney space, but you're right. Own the, thing. the Lucasfilm thing is like if Disney had bought Marvel in between Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. That so would be the equivalent. Or yeah, at least like post maybe Captain America: The Winter Soldier. There. Yeah, yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's just it's a bummer that it has to go that way because it's it's something you know I. I I have a lot of friends that have gotten cynical about the things that make them happy, you know, and that makes me sad. It's like you can I can admit that there are there are some movies that are bad, but their existence, if they're in something I'm a fan of, makes me happy. You know, like I I am not the biggest fan of all of the original trilogy Star Wars films, but I don't want them to not exist. I'm really happy that they exist. There's things in them that I love because I'm a very big Star Wars fan. I really like um, a lot of the stuff that they've done with Iron Man 2 and Thor, um, The Dark World, in the later movies. Mm. But I, I was really kind of underwhelmed by both of those movies. But I like that they exist. You know what I mean? They're not they're not offensively bad and I want them to go away forever. You know, it's just it's very weird that, you know, people turn coats so quick over who owns the company. Yeah. And the other thing I love is Kathleen Kennedy, like she's some new person who's who hasn't existed until this Disney thing is ruining Lucasfilm. It's like, dude. Kathleen Kennedy has produced your favorite movies of all time, guaranteed guy. Like she's workers that are like that constantly make the joke and are wanting her to get fired every day. And I it's all I can do to like not George George Lucas put her in charge of the company before it was bought by Disney because he trusted her. This person is this person is produced what since nineteen seventy nine? Every movie George Lucas or Steven Spielberg has ever made. Yeah, something like that. She's like her in terms of producers, like she's probably got the biggest, like the best uh, track record. And the only one who's kind of come close to her is at this point, Kevin Feige. And that's pretty much because he masterminded something that took over the planet in a alarmingly short amount of time right and supposedly the two of them are going to be teaming up so oh yeah yikes Uh, in terms of 
um, Star Wars, though, outside of the movies, how familiar are you with, like, the Disney, like, expanded universe? Like, do you dabble in any of that at all? The, like, um, the shows? Like, maybe a couple of the books, the shows, just like any of the expanded universe material, or do you not? So, so I'm aware of it. I haven't watched any of the shows. Um, I've, I'm sorry, I've watched five episodes of The Mandalorian. Okay. And I love that. Um, but I really need to catch up on the cartoons. I haven't, um, I didn't do like Clone Wars or Rebels or any of that stuff. Um, okay. But, but back in the day before the Disney merger, I had read a bunch of the extended universe books. I read the one where R.A. Salvatore dropped the moon on Chewie. And uh, um, <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, with the Yuzon Vong, the uh, like, uh-huh. or some immune snake people from outside the galaxy or something. And I love R.A. Salvatore. Um, yeah, I, I, have, really I, have do. A, I have a good chunk of the Dritz uh, yeah. series of books. But there's just, and again, his Star Wars book or books, I forget if there was more than one, I can't remember. Where, it's not that they're bad, it's just that he, he's, he's, he's a, coming at them from a different world and star Wars is fantasy, but not D and D fantasy. And I, and I think that's where my, I'm not going to say issue. Cause I, I think any, you, you can be as much or as little or as deep of a fan as you want to be of something, but star Wars to me, isn't, doesn't lend itself to be treated like dungeons and dragons. You okay. don't need you don't need a character sheet and a hundred page backstory for every character in this. This is this is very tongue in cheek, very stereotypical, old fashioned space opera serial type stuff. You know, just like Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones doesn't need deep backstory. This is you know this is you know square jawed you know guy that just gets out of rough situations you, you know there doesn't need to be much more to it than that so all the gatekeeping and everything that comes with it i i don't fault people for that being the way that their mind works and but it's like that's why i get bothered with someone like ra salvatore putting their mark on star wars is it's they they can only write in that way yeah you know <clears throat> I haven't delved into much of the new uh, Disney EU myself. I've got approximately one book. Um, and I think, uh, honestly, I'm probably going to delve into a bit more because the Star Wars Extended Universe, I think, is kind of more enticing to follow than, say, Marvel or uh, DC Comics because there's a sense of finality. Like, there's no um, there's no indication that there will just be a universe reset and then your right. continuity is effed up. So whenever your character dies, like your favorite character dies, that's just it for them. Yeah, so I ends. And I like I like that about Star Wars. That's true. I I also love that with the Rise of Skywalker. I remember sitting there in the theater and going, "Okay, I know that I said before coming to this that if they gave Rey a real backstory, I was going to walk out of the theater." But I like the way that they did this. So I'm letting the movie happen. But if 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 during this fight with her and Palpatine, I see a whole bunch of freaking force ghosts, that's it. That's when I'm pulling out. Because that's when I know that somebody went, all the people want is Endgame. 
and yeah. and that's not Star Wars. I'm sorry, but the end ga- end game earned that shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. Star yeah. Wars. Star Wars is not about that. There's never been. Star Wars is about one or two people pulling off something great with all of the weight of what's come before them on their shoulders. It is not about standing here and really being fucked and then all of your buddies coming and helping you. That's not what Star Wars is about, you know? Yeah, though they, um, in one of the cartoons, they've kind of given the series of the franchise a way to do something like that if they really wanted to. Um, so the guy who's like primarily in charge of the Clone Wars and Rebels is Dave Filoni. Yes. And he cut his teeth working for the Avatar, the last airbender guys. Oh, I see awesome. four of Rebels. That leaps to the forefront because season one of Rebels starts out as kind of like a, a Firefly riff. But by the end, there's a space-time Force Wolves. And uh, there is a space-time Force Nexus. So there's actually time travel in Star Wars. But it's like really bizarre time travel (laughs) now. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, and like uh, the main character is walking through that. And they use the archival... um, audio of a bunch of old characters so they like, they like have actual dialogue from Alec Guinness like playing as an echo from uh, a new host and it's kind of cool and I'm like they just made this and now they have an excuse to if they ever wanted to do something like Endgame but with all the Jedi I, I don't think all the Jedi and all the Sith I don't think they'll ever do it but they have a tool to do that if they really, really, really wanted to one day. Cool. See, it, it would be awesome to see it. I just felt like it would have taken away the whole point that they were trying to pull off with the movie if they had done it there. Oh, yeah. Definitely in Rise of Skywalker. Definitely. And, and you know, when, when you've got Palpatine, that actor is just so good at chewing scenery. Yeah. And I, I, like, I like how pitiful... He has always seemed, while still seeming grandiose, it's kind of like, you, you know, a, a doomed wizard taking his last stand every time. He's always on that, you know, well, I guess I'm screwed now, so I'm just going to pontificate up the wazoo and shoot lightning everywhere and be a badass. And I love that that it's basically her and him flexing at each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that. I like that that's where it goes I like that Star Wars, the one, the one thing that has been constant throughout all of them is that it all really always, it's a George Lucas thing. It always comes down to a couple of people, you know, it's never the big space fight going up above. That's the interesting thing. You know, it's, it's always, there's some conflict, some one-on-one interpersonal thing going on. And I, I really dig that about it. And, you know, I've said this on shows before, but I'm going to keep saying it because even if I had hated the rise of Skywalker Mm -hmm. beginning to end, I was so surprised to see Harrison Ford again. Oh yeah, me too. And it didn't feel like I, I really, cause, cause he's, he's hit or miss when he comes back for things. Right. Um, 
of seeming like he wants to be there or not. And they got him for for The Force Awakens and this, and he just seems to give a shit. And that bit of dialogue with him and Ben, and again, this could be just that, you know, a couple of years ago I lost my dad, but it meant so much to me that you could you could basically screw the rest of the goddamn movie and this movie would be special to me for the rest of my life just for giving me that. The way Harrison Ford looks now that he's aged mm-hmm. and the facial expressions he makes, he is my dad. He looks just like him. And I got to watch Force Awakens with my dad not long before he wasn't with us anymore. And he just had, when Harrison Ford showed up, he had this great big smile on his face. And it just made me so goddamn happy. And so I sat in the theater on this one going, yep, this is perfect. I, I don't, I didn't know the scene was going to be here. You did a great job of hiding it from me. And I, the rest of the movie could blow. And, and I love what I'm watching right now. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. Star, Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars is going to Star Wars. And it's going to do exactly that at this point. <laughs> Like, yeah. like, there's no other way to kind of describe that generational feeling. It's just Star Wars is going to Star Wars you like that. Yeah, and that's that's something that none of these movies have lost. They, they're able to resonate. They don't feel like cheap cash grabs, even though that's what they are. I mean, these yeah. are a product. These are a product where they're trying to get your money. That's the whole point. Yeah, I mean, they're, they've all been cash grabs since after episode four so like even the best of the star wars movies that at least yeah you know you know what i mean like at that point the best of the star wars movies was technically a cash grab because oh my god have you seen what the merch sales for this first one was make another george (laughs) yeah and i and i love the um i love the camp that comes in and goes well you see it shows that last jedi and this one are bad because they made less money and i go okay Okay, so what you're telling me is that if either one of these two films had been the first Star Wars film to come out in how many years and actually be good, and I know that's relative, yeah, but actually be good, you know, um, that also wouldn't have made $2.8 billion, you know, you, there's, we now see there's a billion dollar buffer. Basically, the first one <laughs> is going to make that money, and then your movie makes 1.6 and your movie makes 1.4. I guarantee you, no one is losing their job over that. Yeah, the <laughs> main series movies are at this point billion dollar bulletproof. These now, series are kind of iffy at this point, but I think that's really only a matter of time before even that gets resolved, honestly. Well, I, I have an interesting feeling that if if um, if Solo had released in the Star Wars slot and not as a summer movie, right? and, and they had shown Darth Maul in the trailers, that that would have been a billion-dollar movie. Probably. I think... I, because because Rogue One was a billion dollar movie, and Rogue One was a big, big. Um, if if you're coming with something that's iffy, you yeah. know, on if it's going to do well. So I, I think 
Solo, again, the problem with Solo is that making a Han Solo movie without Harrison Ford doesn't put butts in seats. That's it. Um, you're not getting people in the seats because it's a Star Wars movie, because there's nothing familiar in it. At least Rogue One, they're, they're, they showed Vader in the trailer. You know, that that got people in seats. Yeah, they, they showed the Vader and they showed uh, the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but But I think if they had shown Darth Maul or shown more to make it seem interesting... Um, cause I love that movie. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's really light. It's really, um, it, it's weightless. Nothing means anything, but I, I love that movie and I, I've never felt so wrong coming out of a theater on opening night and going, this movie's going to be huge. And then I saw the people's reaction to it and I go, what movie did they watch? Right. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, um, it's it's getting kind of late, and, and like I said, Jake's kind of sitting in there with my wife. So I'll, I'll ask you know one more: Is there anything else you've seen recently that you wanted to to mention real quick? Um, because like like every time you're just easy to talk to. We could do this for hours. Yeah, we could. <laughs> um, I guess the one question I do want to ask you, um, yeah, because I've seen this. Have you seen the entirety of the Crisis on Infinite Earth special from the CW? No, 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 no. Um, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it is ever so. So I am, I am a stupid, stupidly, um, huge Superman fan, and I know that that's a hard thing to be because Superman's problem is the Neo from the Matrix problem, where he's indestructible, so it's hard to make something interesting with him. But Dude, my favorite superhero, so yeah, I, I get but, you there. But <laughs> it, it's, it's mine too. But like, for example, I have gone on record, and I know this makes a lot of people very angry, and they walk away from me because they go, how can you say Superman fan and then say this? But I actually really like Superman Returns. I feel like the connection of Brian Singer with that movie makes it way worse. But leaving that out, I thought that movie was a blast and I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. I I, like Man Returns. Yeah, it's not great, but I really like it. And I like it because they got Superman right. Brandon Ruth is the only Superman. He's he, he reads like the Superman from the comics who reads like Christopher Reeve. You know, they're all playing the same type of character. Now, that being said, and I think I've told you this before, I believe that Man of Steel still exists in this weird alternate universe where Zack Snyder didn't get, whether it's his fault or the production company or the writer's fault, didn't make Batman versus Superman or Justice League after. And we got a great follow-up to Man of Steel that really made that movie work because man of steel i feel is a is a bb minus movie mm-hmm. that becomes a c plus or a d because of batman versus superman yeah if they if they had made hey this is how superman learned to create his alter ego clark kent by going through by learning how awful earth is and how much anger and pathos and awful shit you're going to have to deal with and created the most positive human being on the planet as his alter ego that would have been great and i thought him walking in at the end in his daily planet garb looking more like brandon ruth you know kind of smiling there i'm like cool okay this was in this was an origin story awesome 
And then instead we just got more awful and darkness and anger. And, right. and that, that pissed me off. Cause I feel like we were missing a movie. Um, and so this crisis stuff just makes me so happy because they are wearing their weird right on their sleeve with it. They're going, you know what? This is the best job we're ever going to try to do to just adapt these comics and all of their silliness the best we can. Oh yeah. And I've read the crisis on infinite earth book uh, myself. Me too. Me too. They, they did just about everything. Like honestly, the only, one of the things that they didn't do that they did and didn't do was uh giant specter versus giant anti-monitor. Oh God. Imagine them on their budget trying to pull that off. Cause they would, they would have gone for it. They would have gone for specter it Specter versus anti-monitor. They just weren't giants. That's the cool part about it though. Oh no, it's, it's just a wonderful show. And, and I think legends of tomorrow is just a great show in its own right. And I yeah, think, um, I need to start I, a new season cause they're, they're, they don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> well, that's it's it's like the shows the shows figured out how to DC before the movies did, and um and I'm glad that the movies seem to kind of get it. Like Wonder Woman eighty four just looks like they gave one of those shows a huge budget. That's yeah. what it looks like to me, <laughs> and that makes me really happy. But yeah, I I would if you. Do if you ever get like just a five hour thing, like even if you aren't caught up on the shows, I would say I would try and watch Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, when you can. Oh, I think Bob's Bob's been feeding it to me. Um, he's been going, all right, now watch this one, and I think I think I might be two episodes into it, and it it's just uh, wonderful. Uh, okay, <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? I don't know if you've seen um Jay and Silent Bob reboot yet. Uh, I have not. Um, cool. I won't, I won't, it's, it's actually great. And there's a lot of strangely surprises in it that aren't shown in the trailers, which is an oddly non Kevin Smith thing to do. He's usually like, I'm going to show you everything, get you in the seat. But there's a lot of things that are best left to not know. But since this was part of the ad, I was just so happy that he got Supergirl to be in it. I got Melissa Benoist in it. Yeah. She, she, so, so. The the movie this is in the trailers so if you watch one but he's the the idea of the movie is that they're make remaking Blunt Man and Chronic the movie they were making the original Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back but they're okay. reboot they're rebooting it and doing it as a harder edgier movie called Blunt Man v Chronic <laughs> and because it's nowadays and everybody changes everything chronic is now a woman and looks surprisingly like captain marvel and it's it's supergirl it's most of it was i've seen the posters with that the captain marvel looking weed superhero is, is chronic yeah she and she's and she's amazing there's a there's an extra feature of of um outtakes and she walks into the room into this scene in, in her whole getup and just screams like in a real like wrath of Khan kind of way blood mad like this and they cut and you hear kevin smith from the side you just earned your paycheck lady it just it's dying okay i need to see this uh probably gonna have to like hunt down the blu-ray when it comes out there's that they, they also um have a bit where he actually got the creator of um the walking dead to show up and do like a panel at this con that they're doing. And 
um, Silent Bob and Jay lace into him for all of the awful things that people didn't like about the show. (laughs) And he just takes it like a champion, and it's so goddamn funny. He's like, fine, you guys want to know how The Walking Dead's going to end? And he just, I forget which two characters. He goes, this character's just going to eat this other character. And he goes, wait a minute, they're going to turn into a zombie. No, 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 She's going to go fucking cannibal and just eat him. All right, are we done here? And he just gets up and walks off. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, I'm still processing it because we just watched it yesterday. But it is, it is an absolute riot. Sounds like, <laughs> but with that, I am I am gonna go snuggle with my son now and go to sleep. But dude, I'm glad we got to do this, and we should start scheduling episode four. Yes, I'm. I would be down for scheduling episode four. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into a chat and do that because because I have a blast talking to you. So, do you have anything you want to pitch to to the to the greater good of the internet, or tell them anything that they should check out or whatever? Um. Follow me at Twitter, uh, Real Ryan Wharton. Uh, follow my blog; it's in my pin tweet. And hopefully, I will be having chapter three of my Superman fan fiction thingy posted on Archive of Our Own in the very near future. But that's about it. <laughs> awesome, man! Thank you so much for shooting the shit with Chippa, and we will talk to you all soon. All right.